When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome. Here comes another Books of the Year podcast from your friends at Books of the Year. That's us. That is us. We're back again. And our extensive production team, hundreds of people bring this show to oh, you. So many. So a massive team. Read every single book that comes out worldwide. All of them. Like yes. they're all stored in the British Library and that uh-huh. team goes through every book and uh-huh. then we decide to bring those books to you. That's right. So there's a massive filtration process. Oh, huge. Remember, uh, it's the fish that John West reject that makes John West salmon the best. That's That's our motto. It's the books... Books of the Year reject that makes Books of the Year the best. I th- I always used to think that that tagline was far too complicated, the John West one. I, I'm, I'm sure they've changed it. I've remembered it, it, though. Yeah, you've remembered <laughs> it, but it, you, you always have to sort of go, the ones that they reject that makes the best fish. And you're like, just say, we've got really good fish. That's what, yeah, why... But uh... I'm reassured to know that they've, they've gone through the fish. Yes. They've looked at the fish <laughs> and they've said, first of all, you're not salmon. <laughs> Your cod row. <laughs> yes. So for example. You're out. And you are not as good as as good a salmon as we would like. Yes. So you're out. So therefore yeah. I felt reassured, even though I wasn't a huge fan of salmon. No. W- would you know what beef hass is? Beef hass. Yeah, I ordered a beef hass vindaloo on Friday. No. Well, it turns out it's a fish. Because I thought it's gonna be beef, is it? Yeah. I looked it up. It's it's like a Is that all one word? Beef. No, it's two words, and it's uh, it's like a shark, dogfish kind of thing. Oh, right. Okay. Is that what we all now have to eat because there's no more Something cod? Like right. Okay. Anyway, it's the beef hass yeah. that we reject that makes <laughs> books of the year far more palatable it is. than other books so podcasts. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you're a new listener... <laughs> <laughs> it's like this all the time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of other episodes where we make more sense, Yeah. if you'd like to treat yourself. An email from Grace Mitchell. Who emailed books of the year at yahoo.com? Hello, Simon. Hello, Matt. Finally got around to reading Mad Honey by Jodie Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan. This is from a few months ago. Now. It is a while ago, yeah. And wow, capital letters, exclamation mark. You were not wrong. It really is one of the books of the year. Well, last year now. I would never have picked. Was it last year? Wow. That is, yeah. That feels I would so never long have ago. picked this up had I not heard the authors chatting on the podcast. And I'm so glad I did. It's unbelievable to me that this book, as with many of Jodie's and Jenny's, are banned in schools in America. Everyone should read this book. I really loved it, so thank you for the recommendation, says Grace. I wonder if, if it's banned in America, you should automatically buy it. 
Yeah, it's sort of a good sign, isn't Unless it? it's yeah. the anarchist handbook, in which case, probably don't. <laughs> isn't that the cookbook? Isn't that the one where you're not you're not allowed out in prison, are you? Well, I'm going to guess you're not allowed. When out I when I was writing the itch books, I I downloaded like bits of the anarchist really handbook. Yeah, I wanted details about <laughs> about. Bomb making. Yes, essentially. Yeah. Because I wanted it to feel as though I had done some work, right, which okay. I had done. But I was thinking all the time, I You're shouldn't. On the list. I shouldn't be looking at this. Yeah. Someone is going to come knocking on my door. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and Don't do that on the work PC. Would no. be my advice. Uh, a message from Finn. I very much enjoyed your pod chat with Catriona Ward, who's a writer I didn't know of until listening to Books of the Year. She said that she sometimes just jumps on a train so she can write, and I love the idea of this. You often ask your guests where they like to write and I'd like to know if you two have favourite places to work or write etc so Simon where do you where do you do your writing well I used to always think that I had to be in the same place uh, and try and tried to be but um, we just had a week off for example Mm -hmm. and um, I I had like a, a whole section of a new book to try and finish and I could I was sitting in my usual place and it just wasn't so I moved around moved around the house and then uh, the wi-fi went so uh, upsticks took the laptop went and sat in the local pub with wi-fi bought some uh, non-alcoholic drinks because it uh-huh. was like 11 in the morning okay um, and I'm not in an airport <laughs> I'm on a lad's holiday uh, and it was fantastic and the change it was like the change of uh, scenery the change of vibe change of groove I don't know what it was and I then did the best work that I did in the whole week so I think the honest answer to that is I used to have to be in the same place. But as long as I've got headphones to block out noisy people and other stuff, okay. I think I can actually work pretty much anywhere now. Do you need to have something that you're looking at? In other words, or do you definitely not want to have like a window or a, a room that you're looking no. at? Would you far rather have... I think Stephen King likes to have a wall yeah. right in front of you so there's nothing to distract you. I quite like that idea we had last time um, about the idea of putting two things mm. either side of your laptop. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, no, so I think um, I'm inherently more flexible. What about you? Well, so I I write in the shed, and I write in the sheds because we don't get Wi-Fi in the shed, so I'm not going to get distracted there. Oh. So I can only... I can Because I am going to be... Dre- if, if my phone starts pinging... Uh, I'm not disciplined enough to not... I'm amazed your Wi-Fi gets anywhere at all. <laughs> yeah. It's notoriously terrible. <laughs> but it definitely doesn't get down the garden into the shed. So, But the problem with the shed, obviously, is it's freezing. So it basically means from you know February through till November, I can write then, but outside of that, you know, November through to February, it's not a chance. Why don't you buy a small heater? Uh, well, because those are ridiculously expensive, those things. They... <laughs> burn through i may as well be lighting notes and using those to warm me rather than buying one of those ridiculous heaters also they stay on and i'm bound to leave it so just you know all oh, right there you go yeah, hopeless case have more of my money edf um if you'd like to get in touch um not edf <clears throat> <laughs> uh, aren't they french they are french yes. yeah you'd think that would make them um, more you can email us books of the uh, books of the year at yahoo.com. Um, we would like to hear from you. That'd be a very nice thing. You can tweet us at books of the year. We're on Instagram pick, at pick any page. Cecilia Hearn time is now. Here we go.
So uh, we've been joined by Cecilia Ahern, um, multi-million selling author, globally re- recognised. What's that what noise? What was that noise? Oh, no. How do I turn that off? Is that you? Is that another government alert? <laughs> Did you get that yesterday? Yeah. I forgot about it until it happened. If it's your agent, just tell them to back off. <laughs> so as I was saying, a multi-million uh, book-selling, uh, internationally acclaimed author, Cecilia Ahern, is joining us in a spectacularly pink and blue jumper, I think. Pink and purple. Pink That's and purple. See, the colours are relevant, as you're, they are. As yeah, you're yeah, about yeah. to discover. Cecilia, it's very nice to speak to you. I think it was the marble collector the last time we spoke. That's correct, and it's very, very nice to speak to you. Thank you. Very nice to have you back on the show. So, uh, Matt, describe the book. Let's judge this book by the cover. Yeah, let's do us, that. Tell us uh, because the colour, the colours on this cover, very important. So, we have got a. Well, it's, a it's a picture of a, a woman with her back to us, and she's sitting in a floral print um, dress, uh, sitting on a uh, on a bed. But the important thing here is that the left of the picture is very, very monochrome and faded and not interesting but it blends into a very very colorful picture as as it goes across to the right um and uh, it's all standing out and there we have the the title uh, we all see the world dot 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 in a thousand different ways and Cecilia Ahern in white at the bottom and some nice things said by Louise O'Neill and Donald Ryan at the top and with the the reason why we know this is a classy cover is because you have a figure there and you can't see their face. And it's so long since we've had a cover like that because uh, so many times now people aren't putting figures on their cover, but they must never show their face for it to be a classic. This cover. is true. If they're looking away from us, it's it's a literary work. And, oh. it, yeah, if we can see their face... <laughs> <laughs> if we can see their face, the alarm oh. goes off. Yeah. yeah. I turned it off, guys. I'm so sorry. So the title is... In a thousand different ways, and the We See the World bit has an ellipsis after it. So maybe to sort of give context to the title, just tell us about the title and why you've gone with this. Just introduce us to the back, the book via the title, Cecilia. So the title actually comes from an Oscar Wilde quote, which is mere, well, a very long quote that I'm going to shorten. Um, mere colour speaks to the soul in a thousand different ways. And... Um, it is, well, I had many, many titles that, that my publishers didn't like, but this is the one <laughs> that we all liked. Um, so it is about, it's about a character who has the ability to see people's moods and emotions in the form of colours around their body. So she can see their auras, um, but not only can she just know how someone is feeling just by looking at them, but if the colour travels to her or lands on her, then she can also feel exactly how people are feeling. So... Um, I wanted to write a book about what it's like to be empathetic, what it's like to be highly sensitive. And for people who, who aren't, because there are many who aren't, I thought that if I could describe emotions as colour and, and make it more visual, then it would be easier to see how moods and feelings are transferred. So that's where all the colour comes into it. It's a very, it's a very colourful book. It is, which, is uh, which explains the way uh, Matt was describing the cover. So... My understanding, Cecilia, is that this idea sat in your head for a couple of years before you put everything together to to write this. Uh, is is that true? Did you have like half an idea and you had to wait for the final version? Yeah, that's true. And that's usually what happens. I always come up with the idea first, the concept, and then I try to figure out what kind of character would find themselves in that position. 
but I had this idea I want somebody to be able to see moods and emotions in the form of colors but I didn't know who that would be and um, when I was pregnant with my third child a couple of years ago I started experiencing these aura migraines and I don't know if anyone's ever had them they're quite frightening at first if they have stroke-like symptoms and uh, and then you also see this bright light in your eye well I saw this very bright light in my eye that kind of kept changing and um, got a fright I was sent to a neurologist who explained to me that they're aura migraines and that also Lewis Carroll also experienced mm. them and uh, which makes sense you know when you look at Alice in Wonderland um, a lot of that is exactly how you feel actually when you have an aura migraine you know things that look further away that are very you know things that are far away feeling very close and the opposite and then the kind of garbled language of of the Mad Hatter. Anyway, I am going off on, on one. <laughs> no, 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 not really, because this seems to me to get to the heart yeah. of, of of Alice and, and why you wanted to write the book. Yeah. Just on the subject of these uh, aura migraines. That's also why I called her Alice, by the way, because I felt the link between it. Ah. Yeah. So when I was speaking to him, um, I realised that we're all wired so differently and that I, I wanted to write this story, but not have it be a, a fantasy book or, you know, a magical book where someone sees colours. It's, a, it's not supernatural. I really wanted it to be grounded in what a lot of people do experience. And I know I have exaggerated it in, in lots of ways, but I wanted it to come from something that could possibly be hormonal, neurological, you know, um, or that word that I still can't say, synesthesia. Um, so that, and, and that's, and that kind of gave me my way into telling the story. Just from having that experience myself, I realized, okay, I can, I can create a character who's not magic, but just is wired differently. You're very certain about that point through the book aren't you Cecilia about uh, if Alice is uh, she meets a Reiki is it Reiki healer is that how you is that how you say it? and she's very skeptical she, when she meets faith healers she thinks they're frauds um uh, and there's there's a context sort of uh, this isn't a spoiler quite late in the book where they're discussing and looking up biofields and googling do humans generate a magnetic field so just could you just talk a bit more about wanting this to feel a a realistic book and not a magic realist book yeah i i wanted to explain that this is what happens for a lot of people you know i i know people who when they hear music they see colors and they um or you know someone who hears numbers and sees hears numbers as colors and i wanted to explain that this isn't exactly as you said it's not kind of supernatural um but that everything has everything has an energy we know that everything has an aura and um you know and they say birds migrating birds actually that could be a possibility as to how they find their way around because they're following oh geez i'm not a scientist now i don't know how to explain this mm. <laughs> but that they're following kind of um the energy fields and that they can see it and we can't but that some people have the ability to see people's magnetic fields so i was trying to explain it in terms of you know the earth has one um and so people also have them and sometimes people animals birds can see them so i was trying to offer every possible um realistic solution as to how this could happen well and, and that's part of the reason why i, I really bought into it cecilia because i, I really really like the book and uh it's somewhat surprised because um auras and things like that really 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 aren't my thing normally I, I, as soon as we got to auras i thought okay matt's uh, yeah, not gonna like i mean it. i i've been very unlucky in that the 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 people that i've talked to who talk about auras have all been intensely irritating in every other aspect of their lives so and so uh, i've been really unlucky with that and i'm not slagging it off i'm sure it's all it's all fabulous 
podcast. Um, however, I really, really enjoyed your book, Cecilia, and I put it down to two things. One is the writing, and it is also, we, I, we should say this um, very early on, it's also very funny. Uh, there were lots in this that, that really made me laugh. But and this is, I, I thought, well, it was certainly crucial for me in, in buying into it, Was and you've touched on this slightly already, is that um, there is a degree of cynicism about certain aspects of the sort of what I might call the sort of woo-woo element. So so Reiki, Reiki, whatever. Um, there's like one practitioner of that who is clearly a fraud, but, the, but we meet someone else later on who seems to know what they're doing. And it struck me that this is something that is it's sort of open to abuse because we can't we can't right now prove that these things are there or not and so it's open to people you know t taking the mickey basically uh taking people's money and and actually not do doing anything at all uh so this is a roundabout way of me saying the book acknowledges that there is some bs around this this subject but we are living in a world in this book where Alice has this power. So was that was that something that you wanted? You wanted people like me, who are a little bit cynical and cold-hearted and all of that, to buy into the book that way? Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't. I didn't do it deliberately in that way, but I think that's I wanted to balance it. Um, like uh, even within me, I'm I'm cynical and I'm also a believer. So there's things that I that I think are possible, but I want to know how they are you know I, I suppose I don't believe in it can be very airy-fairy going down this route but um and all alternative therapies and things like that and 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 some of them I kind of roll my eyes and then others I really invest in and I think it's with more research and more understanding of how these things are possible that I start to believe in them and then also there's that just there's a gut feeling or an instinct that you think well this feels right I can't explain it it just feels it feels right um but yeah I did I didn't want to write a book that felt airy fairy, you know. Um, I wanted to be grounded, and I think that's the only way that it would work because, um, you know, even the character doesn't want it. She doesn't want to have this this skill. You know, she feels that it's a burden. It's not a gift. She doesn't want to know how people feel. Um, and one thing that was very interesting to me when I was writing is is discovering that empathy does not equal compassion. You know, just because you feel what other people are feeling doesn't mean that you have to care. So um, I was taking something that felt quite emotional, but also trying to harden it. You know, it could be could be very she could have gone down the route of helping characters. And I thought about that. I was like, maybe she has this skill and she starts to help people in trouble. And I just kept thinking, no, you know, she doesn't <laughs> want to. She doesn't want to help people. This isn't it's not going in that kind of nice route. It's really she's wants to shield herself from other people. Um, so, yeah, I did want to keep balancing the that that um, softness kind of with a little bit more realistic <laughs> hardness. Uh, so, so Alice is the person who tells the story. You've written it in the first person. Um, so when we join the story, she's very young, primary school age, and we go through her teenage years and uh, uh, into being an adult. I was intrigued by the process there by which you, the extent to which you changed the way Alice writes so that we believe her as a primary school kid, that we then believe her as a teenager, we then believe her as an adult. Does Did you change your writing at all? Did you use longer words? It's only something that occurred to me as I was walking down here that to tell a story, first of all, from a very young child into adulthood in first person seems like quite quite a challenge. Gosh, yeah. I mean, 
actually, if I thought about it like that, I think I would have really struggled. But I, when I'm writing, I, I, I feel, this sounds odd, but I do feel like I hear the voice of the character and I'm just writing. So I suppose as, writing as a child, I hear how a child would speak and that kind of um, the innocence of explaining things that are happening, but not perhaps knowing the why, you know, and then as you get older, understanding the why things are happening. Um, so yeah, I did have to change, but she was all, she was always a very mature child as well because of what she was experiencing. Um, she was seeing a lot more than other kids and, and, and feeling a lot more. So she did always have a mature voice, but it, yes, it did have to grow throughout. Can, maybe just a way of, of explaining it. Can you describe the scene that's very early in the book? In fact, it's the first time that we really understand mm -hmm. that Alice has got this gift when she's seeing what she thinks is a terrible scene involving her mother and she calls the police. Can you just explain a little bit about that opening? Yeah, so she's eight years old and she arrives home from school and um, the curtains are still closed and the blinds are still down as usual. And she always feels a kind of sense of dread going home. Her mother um, has, well, undiagnosed at the time as bipolar disorder. And so Alice never knows what mood her mother is going to be in. Uh, she arrives home and she just sees kind of a blue mist, uh, a fog drifting out from under the door, uh, rolling down the, st the stairs. And she goes upstairs opens the door and her the room is very, very cold and covered in a blue colour. So she calls the ambulance and and hides so that the blue doesn't get on her. And um, and she tells them that her mother is blue. Of course, they race out thinking something terrible has happened, but they don't see anything. And um, when she tells them my mother was blue, they realise, oh, her mother was feeling blue and they don't quite understand what she means because uh, her parents have just split up and her mother is blue and has been sleeping an awful lot and not leaving her room. So that, that's how the colour first begins. And then, and then it spreads to her brother who she starts to see as pink and then her little brother who takes all the colours from his mother. And from then on it, it develops and moves to every, all her friends and everybody around her. It's a, <clears throat> it's a very um, arresting first scene, that Cecilia. And it also... Um, Again, you've you've touched on this, but I want to explore it a little bit more. Is um, you you came up with a nice twist, which I think really works in the book, where these colours, when they're coming out of a certain person, will infect other people around them without them knowing it. So the sort of red of anger will be transformed, will will find its way from the mother to the son. And, and in fact, Alice will physically move out of the... She can see these red darts coming towards her and she will physically get out of the way. And I just talk to us about that because it was... As soon as you started talking about it in the book, it really it absolutely sort of started drawing me in of this idea that it wasn't just surrounding one person, but it's, it's these are colours trying to attack others. Yeah, so I really had fun of the fact that colour is like, there are other characters in this book and they have personalities and they have movement. Um, so they they move, they twirl, they swirl, you know, they have, um, her mother's anger, you know, can be sometimes like tornado or um, like an octopus tentacle, like reaching out, trying to catch her. She feels that they're, they're, they're angry and they're scary. They're like monsters to her, you know, but then there's, there's other nicer colours, you know, that she sees of, of love and joy and things like that um, that are more gentle. But, uh, yeah, they, they have character. And, and the reason why I wrote that, actually, is because I would consider myself um, to be 
sensitive. I'm an empath and at times highly sensitive. And sometimes I do feel that whatever moods other people are in, it, it just transfers to me. And, um, or even you know, if somebody says something mean then, you know, or angry, then it ju I just feel like I, I take it and I carry it on. And so I wanted to show how, how that can happen. It does happen. You know, we, we know what it's like to walk into a room and feel a good energy or feel a bad energy. And it's like we take that on ourselves and, and bring it somewhere else. So it was important to me that color had, and it was, it's not just one color. Everyone has lots of colors. As you get older, the colors develop. And because people have many emotions, not just one, um, and people have many layers, that she starts to, it becomes a whole new language that she has to read and learn how to speak. The idea of passing on a mood, when, I, when we were kind of engaging with that uh, in the book, Cecilia, I, it, rem it reminded me, I think it was my driving instructor, so going back a long, long time. So if you use your horn, if you're angry and you use your horn, you, you are, I mean, sometimes, obviously, you need to do it and you're using it mm, correctly. Yeah. But if you're using it randomly and stupidly, just because you're frustrated, you are literally passing on your anger. So you are anger... Uh, is there you've then passed it on that driver is now passing is now angry and who knows how he or she is going to pass it on so in a very practical sense you can you can pass on your mood to somebody else absolutely and also um she has two brothers ollie is her oldest brother uh, no ollie is her baby brother and he was her older brother and i also wanted to show how you know we can all live in the same environment but come out of it differently we're all affected by the same situation in our family lives or in our home lives um Hugh manages to the colors go straight over his head um for Alice she's dodging she's ducking and diving and trying to dodge all of these colors and for Ollie the little boy he's absorbing all of the colors and um we're all just made so differently that we all are affected by different situations in various different ways and I just wanted to show how different people can accept energy yeah. or reject energy did you have a colour code that, that was your guide? You know, certain moods, certain ideas, do they always go with particular colours? Yes, yeah, I did a lot of um, research about what different aura colours meant. But, you know, to be very honest, sometimes if you go to a different, you know, the same colours can mean different things to different people. But I, uh, but I had to create my own kind of colour code and... Um, and then within the, the colors, the shades had different meanings. So, you know, blue, as I explained, was her mother's sadness. But then there was a different shade of blue, which could be like a conservative blue or the lovely blue of, an, of a natural leader. You know, there were so many different shades of, of colors. Um, I introduced like metallic flashes of colors for, for rage or for sarcasm. Um, if something is luminous and not quite natural, then it's, it's, it's a negative. It was a negative color. Um, and, you know, gold is the ultimate, but but a lot of people try to be gold, but they're not. They're tarnished or they're metallic. So, yeah, I did create this this kind of... I had fun doing that, actually. But um, And then black is, is, the, is the most dangerous of all, you know, but then some people can be, be covered by a kind of veil of black if they're in grief, so it's not not so dangerous so yeah i did have this sorry i could talk about colors for a long time no, no. <laughs> <Not very> funny. <laughs> but that's but it, it, I, that also uh, comes into the sort of superpower element of this because she she does have this sort of superpower she at, at one point she 
senses that something's going on in the room next to her where there's a, her neighbor and her neighbor has there's a man in there and it seems you know to, to the normal observer everything is fine in that room but as soon as the door opens alice is able to see that there is just black surrounding pooling off this guy and she knows his intentions are absolutely nefarious even though he hasn't revealed them yet and Here's what struck me. So we had um, Joanne Harris on the podcast recently, and she um, is sort of in the same sort of genre in, in that uh, she had a, a book where a character was able to see into people as if it was their house. So in other words, walking into a house in their front room and, and see the corners that they wouldn't normally, um, or cupboards that they wouldn't normally show to, to outside people. And you've already spoken about how you see yourself as a bit of a, a, a of an empath. But is, is this superpower of being able to see the good or bad in other people without the normal cues that we normally get the you know the the sort of things we we can all sense but she sees them instantly she sees that color straight away there is danger don't trust this guy guy knocks on her door and starts talking to her about her roof and she knows straight away from the color that he's trying to diddle her that kind of thing and is it, was there a superpower element when you were when you were writing this um of of just you know the ability to instantly see what someone's intentions are um well i think that superpower can often be female intuition as well you know i think that um and not that men don't have it but i can't say that they do because i'm a woman but i think a lot of the time you know the way we're raised as well to to watch out for that kind of feeling you know that you know if you're in the same room as someone or someone's around and it doesn't feel right then it's not right and i think i wanted to really push that even further um you know if you're you're walking down the road and there's someone behind you or that feeling that you get that it's something very dangerous and you need to just leave i think every woman is encouraged to follow that instinct so it is like a superpower but uh, and, and often at times you don't have to be super to, to have that feeling it's very normal and um or you can feel it i i remember you know on a bus you know, and someone sits down beside you and you feel something's not right, you need, you know. So that's, I just think, our human instincts. Um, but definitely pushed. But by introducing colour, it, it makes it seem very, very, you know, it's not an everyday thing, but, um, but they're certainly the feelings that a lot of people would have when they're in the company of others. Um, Matt's already referred to how well-written it is. It is fantastically written, this book. And I was amazed that you time and time again found the language to describe what Alice is seeing because in lesser hands it would be you know mm. here's a blue thing here's a red thing here's a green thing it's a swirly thing you know but every time you come to a scene it feels magical and I wondered if that just didn't just come because you're a fantastically gifted writer but it just the more you write the more you write in color the more you think in color maybe the easier it gets mm. Yeah, I felt it was, um, it, yeah, it did feel very natural, um, you know, and certainly for instances like introducing a lawyer who had colours moving from side to side, like the, the balance of um, justice, is that it? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah the balance of justice, um, you know, she had logical yellow and that conservative leader blue that I spoke about going up and down as she's trying to make a decision. Um I think I just looked at every character and 
they say everybody has a base color you know i thought about that and then, then i thought about what are the kind of colors that would um kind of inform who that person is or the way they think and the way they feel so it actually in that way made it very easy to be honest i found it was a very visual book and i just threw myself into it and was able to come up with lots of different scenarios all the time um yeah i you know it, it, it i don't know how else to answer than i felt it was very it came very easily to me because i think i'm a very visual writer you know so i'm seeing hmm. i'm seeing the story i'm writing and then i'm just writing it down so i watch watch my stories in my head all the time and this felt just incredibly visual it's just you know you feel as though there are ways of describing color we only have the words that we have to describe mm-hmm. red and black and blue but it sounds as though what alice is experiencing is so much greater than that you know it's almost that although you're telling us the colors that she's almost seeing new colors which obviously we don't have the language to describe yeah yeah that's true and she's feeling the heat of them as well you know some um some are hot and then some are cold and it's it's a it's a larger experience for her um and not only is she seeing them but she's feeling them so she's going about her life you know feeling perfectly happy and then someone's anger you know someone can bump into her feeling anger and then she's suddenly feeling their anger then she's suddenly feeling someone else's jealousy or bitterness or you know and then someone else's joy so um she's she's kind of suffering a lot from feeling everybody else's emotions and i think i wanted to show just push it in every different angle to show how intense it is for her. She always she has to wear sunglasses because the colors are so bright. Um, you know, she learns how to shield herself to 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 actually. I'm, I'm funny that you mentioned superpower. Um, her when she's a teenager and she's in this behavioral school where she's sent because nobody really understands her. Um, he calls her a superpower and he says, "Be careful because every superhero has an arch nemesis mm. and you're going to have to." figure out who that nemesis is and watch out for them. And um, no spoilers, but she does does discover that her arch nemesis can be herself. You know, the, the very, very opposite of herself is also herself. So she needs to she needs to protect herself from herself. And I think we can all be our own worst enemies as well. And that was kind of the point I was making. But um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, did I answer it? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. I wondered, does part of the intensity of the book, Cecilia, come from... The fact, I think you wrote this during the second lockdown, which was a pretty yeah. intense experience for everybody, whatever they were doing. But when you look back on the book, and I think you've said elsewhere that this is, you think it's the best novel that you've ever written. I wonder if some of the intensity came from your personal situation. It, it really did. You know, it really, really did. I always throw my heart and soul into my into writing my novels, but I just think I emptied the tank completely into this one. And I wasn't just in a pandemic. I was postnatal. <laughs> and perimenopausal I had a lot of um things going on in the pandemic and I, and I was feeling I was feeling a lot of things and I think a lot of even if you're not a very feeling person I think during the pandemic we were all feeling the heaviness of of everyone around us it was such an emotional time so I feel like that was intensified for me and just really enjoyed um pouring it all into this novel and I'm not the character and it's not my journey but I, I was able to to put a lot of that kind of quest for balance um, and, and how I, I felt kind of, I was feeling all the energies of everyone around me, put it into this book. So I'm aware that you're not a scientist. I'm not a scientist. No. Matt is not no. a scientist. But at the end of your book, do you think that, and also bearing in mind what you were saying about your own aura migraines, is there some interaction between hormones and 
neurons. You know, is you were talking about neurological and hormonal. I just wonder, is is that what's at play here? Do you think? Yeah, with, with this character. So there's that, but there is my instinctive feeling as a writer that this um, this came about as a form of survival for her. That this was formed by the environment that she was living in. That she was that Alice from such a young age was trying so desperately to know what kind of mood her mother was going to be that she was reading and she studied her so hard that she understood exactly what her just by looking at her mother how she felt and I think the skills then developed from there I think everything else I've offered are possibilities scientifically to to please people like you who who hate the the woo-woo airy-fairy stuff um but character-wise, I think it's from her environment. It's a, she's a product of her environment. She's trying to survive. Um, and these are the skills that come about because she she literally just wants to know what mood her mother's going to be in and how she, how she needs to kind of walking on eggshells around her and um, very hesitant and reluctant and, and, and is in a very um, scary place for a child. So I think that's, for me, that's where it develops. But everything else can explain it too. So the, the quotes on the book then should read, beautiful, moving, unforgettable, Louise O'Neill. There's gold on every page, Donald Ryan, and there's very little woo-woo, <laughs> Matt Williams. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's really important as well, yeah. because I think writing a book like this can, you know, it can put a lot of people off and um, because it seems so unrealistic and it's not real. And that is what I was trying to, as a writer, there's, I really lo- love to look at what if, you know, I'm, without going so far that I scare people away, I always need to ground it and bring it back again. So it is very important that you feel that, you know. Uh, The new book from Cecilia Ahern um, is in a thousand different ways. Uh, There'll be more with Cecilia on our next podcast, which will be with you in a few days' time when she's doing the uh, question and answer session. For the moment, Cecilia, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.